Hey, Jason, I'm just calling in regarding the Reavers mailbag, or I think that's what the episode was called. I was listening to Jason Hobbs, and he was referring to um, Conan the Barbarian, like we were talking about various martial arts styles. And he, he also referred to the, the, the Barbarian computer game. And this is not really that interesting, but I did actually make up a, a very simple role-playing game uh, or or combat system based on Barbarian, the uh, computer game where you could in fact do little rolls and knock your opponent over and chop their heads off and all that nasty stuff. So there you go. Anyway, uh, really enjoyed the show and I really like to hear all the different people that we all um, all know, love and uh, appreciate calling in and uh, yeah, talking about the stuff we enjoy. So uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Pockets of a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from Brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start up with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations, and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month or movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box go on. Contest and the push, you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. There at the top of the show, we heard Minion, a.k.a. Rob, of Confessions of a Wee Timmer Spooshy Podcast. Thank you so much for those kind words. And I think that is pretty interesting. I'd be interested to see that RPG, actually. I don't know if you still have it or or not, or if it's been regulated to the dustbins of history or lost, like so many socks in the dryer. But, you know, that's a rare call. Minion doesn't call as much as he used to, and he's got a busy life, lots going on, so I really appreciate him taking the time out to give me a call. Before we get into the show proper, I just want to plug the May contest. So this month I'm doing a contest, and it's, you know, this month in the U.S. is Memorial Day, and Joe over at the Tech Heat and RPG podcast has kind of been wanting me to do a or contest where people call about their favorite war movie. I thought that might be a little too stringent. So what we're doing is your favorite military media. It could be a book, it could be a movie, it could be a play, it could be a, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. But your favorite military media, and let us know what role-playing game you would use to bring that to your table. And there are no time frames here. It doesn't have to be modern military. If you want to do the Punic Wars, if you want to do the Hittites, if you want to do wars between South American nations before the Europeans came over, ancient Asian wars, or you want to do wars in space, that's okay if you want to do science fiction. So as long as it's military-related, and it doesn't have to be war either, it could be adjacent stuff. So it could be, you know, there's plenty of military fiction that's not actually happening during an armed conflict. So there's a broad base of things to choose from. So pretty simple. All the ways to do your entries are in the show notes. You can go to the homepage for Spotify for Podcasters, leave a message there. There is an email address, nerdsrpgvarietycast.gmail.com. You can leave a message there. If you attach an audio file to it, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. You can 
call. There's a Google Voice number. But if you're outside the U.S., you might get long-distance charges. So I also have a SpeakPipe number where there are no charges anywhere in the world. You can also reach out to me on Discord. I'm on a variety of Discords, including the Audio Dungeon Discord. So there's a bunch of ways to get those entries in. But you have to get those entries in before the end of May. The 26th of May is the cutoff for your entries for this contest. So get those entries in. And I look forward to hearing, I'll play all the entries on the air, and then what I do is I put them all in a random number generator, pick one out at random, and that will be our lucky winner. They will get a $20 drive through RPG gift certificate, and I will donate in their honor, in their name, I'll donate to Camp Hometown Heroes. In the past, we've kind of worked with a caller to, to pick a charity because again this is memorial day and we're doing the military thing here i i really would prefer to do the donation to camp hometown heroes this is so what camp hometown heroes does it's a nonprofit organization they provide a free week-long overnight summer camp for the children and siblings of fallen u.s service members during their visit to the camp the children will begin the healing process with other children who have experienced similar loss doing the summer activities that they love so this is a great charity that was in Wisconsin that was brought to my attention by Eric Saul's Weedle of the Omega 3D Chicken Coop. And I definitely want to support it. So I made a previous donation to them for the March contest, but I would love to donate more money to them. So this is where I can kind of make that happen. Anyhow, get those entries in. I look forward to hearing all of them. They've already started coming in, folks, so don't delay. In the early days of World War III, gorillas, mostly children, placed the names of their lost upon this rock. They fought here alone and gave up their lives so that this nation shall not perish from the earth. That's from John Milnes' cautionary tale from 1984, Red Dawn. For those of us that grew up during the Cold War, lived during the Cold War, heck, I was served in the military when the Cold War ended. So I served at the tail end of the Cold War. Um, you, you know, movies like this and, and the, the idea of the Soviet menace and the threat that it really did pose is probably a lot stronger than people that weren't, you, you know, around during that era or weren't as aware during that era. And no doubt it's a lot different here in America than it is for other countries. Red Dawn is an interesting movie. So Red Dawn is the first U.S. movie to be released as a PG-13 movie. It's, a, for the time, a very violent movie um, that depicts where the U.S. is cut off from the rest of the world for various reasons. And there's an invasion. Some high school kids take to the mountains and do a guerrilla campaign against the invaders. So... Most of you have probably seen Red Dawn or you're familiar with it. For the purpose of today, I'm just talking about the 1984 movie. I've never seen the 2012 remake, and honestly, I don't have a big desire to. The original movie had a great cast. Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen in a very early role. or you know, Actually, it was early in the career for a lot of these folks. Um, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson, Jennifer Grey. We get Ben Johnson, Harry Dean Stanton, William Smith one of my favorite genre actors, and of course Powers Booth, an amazing, amazing actor. 
Um, really fun movie. Well, it I, I don't know for for some of us it is, and and a maybe influential movie and a, a movie I know I've seen quite a bit. Couple things interesting in here. We the you know some of the code words like John has long mustache. Of course, we saw that in the Longest Day war movie about World War II movie. Highly recommend the Longest Day. Awesome movie. Another movie with an amazing cast. But I'm not here so much to talk about the movie. What I want to talk about are some of the games that were inspired by this movie. Let's start with a board game. The board game I'm going to talk about, which I don't have a copy of anymore, I don't think. But this is 1986's Fortress America by Milton Bradley. I had their first printing. They had Saddam Hussein right there on the cover. Speaking of Saddam Hussein, talk about another Red Dawn reference. When they did the operation to capture Saddam Hussein, Captain Joffrey McMurray named the mission Operation Red Dawn, and the targets were dubbed Wolverine 1 and Wolverine 2 in honor of the movie. Um, and he said it was fitting because it was a patriotic pro-American movie. Milnes, of course, approved of the name and said he was deeply flattered and honored. It was nice to have a lasting legacy. Um, so that's kind of another little factoid tied in with the movie. Later on, they changed that image. And then in 2012, Fantasy Flight Games did a remake of Fortress America. I never had the Fantasy Flight version. But Fortress America is basically Axis and Allies. It's the same kind of system. It's part of the Game Master series, actually. The, the same series as Axis and Allies and as Shogun. And it's, you know, it was a fun game. We played the heck out of that game back in the day. Um, you, you're either the American player, you're the invader, and the invaders are coming in from three sides, just like what we kind of have in the movie. So that, we're talking about board games, that's the one that stands out to me. I... I know there are video games based on this. I can't talk to those, so I'm not going to discuss those. But I do want to talk about a couple role-playing games that were based on this movie. Actually, let's start with one that was not based on this movie. And that is TriTac Games. Now, I've talked about this game in the past. And this isn't a full role-playing game. It's a supplement. Invasion USA is a 1984 supplement by TriTac Games... And you can use any of their other systems to run it. At the time, you would have been using Stalking the Night Fantastic or Fringeworthy to run it. You can still get a PDF of this from DriveThruRPG. It's 30 pages. You can actually adapt this very easily to any system. So even if you're not a fan of TriTac Games, if you're curious about a serious game on this topic, then Invasion US is a good way to go. And like I say, there's a link in the show notes. Um, if you're going to run it with TriTac, I'd recommend grabbing TriTac Genesis 2 bundle, which has the 84 version of Stalking Light Fantastic, Fringeworthy, FTL 2448, and the first of the Portals and Pathways supplements for Fringeworthy. So I, I don't want to go too in-depth in those games, but Invasion US actually predates... Well, it came out the same year as the movie, but it was being worked on before the designers saw the movie. You can find posts online where some of the people that involved talk about it 
and they say the material actually does predate the movie. Um, it, it actually predates the split of TriTac and um, I forget the name of the company, but where the Morrow Project was originally, that was all working together. And when the the Morrow Project split off, this actually predates that part of it. But this is a serious take on the subject with lots of hard data. It, it's kind of interesting. It does include the other games, though, so it talks about, like, the Fringeworthy, which are kind of like, uh, if you think of Stargate, that's kind of what, Fr well, Stargate ripped off Fringeworthy. Or Stalk and Night Fantastic, which is um, supernatural government, age, government agents that investigate the supernatural. Both of those are, are mentioned in this book, but it but it's taken as a serious take on how to run a game of Freedom Fighters in Occupied U.S., the other games that you would hear about, one of which is another one, both these games came out after Red Dawn, and that is The Price of Freedom by West End Games and Freedom Fighters by FGU, uh, Fantasy Games Unlimited. The Price of Freedom by West End Games is now out of print, so you'd have to find a used copy of it somewhere. I don't, a, a legal PDF was never released of it. Um, I had both these games back in the day. I didn't have Invasion US back in the day. So Price of Freedom is a really simple system. You know, in fact, like when it talks about weapon damage, you know, it talks about, well, you can just, you know, all pistols do the same damage. You can describe it as a little 32, or if you if you describe your character having a 44 Magnum, you can describe how it does, you know, it's a more impressive hit that blows the guy's head off, but they do the same damage. <laughs> it's one of those kind of games. The Price of Freedom is designed specifically for the Red Dawn kind of scenario, where Freedom Fighters by FGU, which you can still buy, and according to Freedom FGU's website, which I'll link in the show notes, they still have physical copies you can pick up. I don't think they're print-on-demand. I think these are just old stock. I know in the past that's been the way with FGU. But you can also buy PDF off-drive through RPG of Freedom Fighters. Freedom Fighters is one of the last of the FGU games to come out. And they're also known for things like Bushido and Aftermath. And um, Daredevils, which is a pulp game, like Pulp Adventures. Freedom Fighters is, is a pretty crunchy game. It's a lot crunchier <laughs> than Price of Freedom is. You, you know, but it is interesting because it's not just the Russian scenario, but there are a number of different options for the invaders, not just Earth-based, but it can also do something like the movie V, where aliens come and occupy the Earth, and you're fighting against alien oppressors that have occupied. So Freedom Fighters is a, is a setup to do a lot more, and it's a much wider-ranging game. It's an interesting game, and if you're into game mechanics and interesting to look at these kind of things, it's probably worth picking up. I'm not kidding about the crunch, though. If you go to the DriveThruRPG website for it, for the PDF, right there in the ad copy it says, This game is a complex one and makes no pretense to the contrary. The rules are intricate and thorough and are intended to provide the maximum of realism. The Game Master should become thoroughly familiar with them early on. The players be not familiar, but will still benefit from knowing what is and what is not possible within the framework of the game system. Oh, one other thing with Freedom Fighters is there was another product that FGU put out back in the day that I never owned, and I'm I'm probably going to buy the PDF to check it out, but it's called Year of the Phoenix, 
And Year of the Phoenix is the same kind of idea. So, you know, it kind of fits in our Red Dawn games. Uh, the blurb for Year of the Phoenix is, it is 1997. You're a soldier, United States Space Command, a member of the warrior elite, backed by the most powerful nation on Earth. Your job is to protect our interests in space. But tragedy strikes during a rescue mission at the Space Station America. A freak explosion tears you from your shuttle and plunges you through a time warp. Stranded in the future, a future where a great nation fell to an enemy over 200 years ago, you and your surviving crew vow to continue your fight for freedom. Welcome to America, comrade. So I'm going to grab this PDF, and so I'll talk about it in a future show. I never had it back in the day, but it looks pretty great. If you just want to find the, a source book for Red Dawn, then Invasion US by TriTech Games is probably your best bet. Which is interesting, considering that it was not influenced by the movie. <laughs> I do have one honorable mention, and that is Bearcats by Runehammer Games. Bearcats is heavily based on Red Dawn, but it's not set in America. Heck, it's not even set on Earth. Bearcats is a system-neutral campaign setting that has alien invaders coming to a space colony. But that space colony kind of resembles a small town in the 20th century. It's really great. Like I say, it's system neutral, so you can play it with any game. It comes with the base, all the base information, the setting information, and you know, with the with the story, the the, the tech, the enemies, missions, all kinds of stuff. And then it has a bunch of VTT assets, uh, you know, maps, uh, tokens, all that kind of thing. So you can easily play it online. Bearcats is really great setting, and if for whatever reason that you or your players aren't interested in playing Red Dawn with the kind of political connotations, Bearcats lets you play out that same scenario, but free of the whole U.S.-Soviet thing going on. Wolverines! Of course, Red Dawn isn't the only movie that spawned a series of games after it came out. There are tons of examples of that, but... It happened to do it at a time where I got in on that, and it kind of fits in with the, the martial flavor of what we're doing in May. So, I hope you enjoyed this really quick overview of the games that I'm aware of and that, that I've dealt with that were inspired by Red Dawn. If you can think of other board games or role-playing games inspired by Red Dawn, then please call in and, and fill this out. Let us know what your experience is with a subgenre of gaming. But for now, we'll leave those freedom fighters to fight the good fight as we dig into the mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's scream is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason. Jennifer Bennett's keep calling in. Uh, been catching up on the call-in episodes. I didn't. I don't know how I was behind. I think my podcatcher was not catching the pods. But anyways, um, I wanted to... Uh, that was pretty cool what everybody called in about the... Um, Basically, the crunch, right? <laughs> I haven't watched that episode of Professor Dungeon Master. Uh, haven't watched his channel for a while because he was just talking all OGL stuff, and that just didn't interest me. But maybe I'll go back and take a look at that. 
But I guess what's interesting, what interested me the most, or one of the things did, was Amy's comments. Because it also, because it, it makes me think, well, I wonder, though, was Amy, so Amy, please answer, uh, playing that game for the crunch? Or was she playing for the story? Or was she playing because that's just awesome to blow people up? You know, I think, I, my, I guess my original question or my original thought was that some of us play and pick the games for the, the crunch, right? And if you take that away, then they might not get that. I guess that's where I was coming from. If you're just playing and you don't really care and you'll play whatever's awesome because you got a great <laughs> GM, I mean, she's got Carl running for her. I mean, probably anything is going to be great. But w- would she have cared if it was a simpler game and she just pressed the button and blew stuff up? That, that's that, I guess that's really the question. I uh, go the more like the. Uh, theoretical question or maybe philosophical questions, maybe the right way to say it, is why do we even play games with more crunch? And is that important into getting the right feel of the game? So anyways, I think it's a really interesting conversation that I keep feeding. I'm not sure I have a full answer. I think that my answer is I probably do play games that are crunchy for the crunch, the few that I play. And I do recall, I probably talked about this before, playing Star Frontiers a few years back at GaryCon, and it was super fun. But it just felt like D&D in space. Like, it didn't feel different than D&D because of the way that it was uh, run, the module we ran, the way they ran it, which is kind of why I ran it this last time, trying to make it, in my opinion, capture what is Star Frontiers beyond just the weird, uh, you know, species and stuff. I'm going to cut in here because Daniel goes to a different topic, and I have an answer from Amy, so I want to plug it in. But really quickly, as far as the crunch goes, I know I personally have some games that are crunchy and I enjoy them because of the crunch that game provides. And there are other games that I enjoy the hand waviness of them. And I play them because I enjoy those mechanics. So I really think it depends game to game. And I think it's okay to like both kinds of games. But let me turn it over to Amy to answer your direct question. Hey, Jason, it's Amy. I was calling in in response to Daniel's question to me. And I would say... I love games that have a story arc because my mindset is to think of three different ways I can solve a problem before I make a decision how I'm going to act. And when the rule sets and all the mechanics, I believe that's what you guys are calling the crunch, get in the way, I then have a tendency not to go back to those games point in case would be Dungeons and Dragons. When I feel as though I have to roll dice to find out if I have enough intelligence to roll dice, I stop playing. And I think that happened in 5e. I could be wrong about that, but I felt like they broke characters in Dungeons and Dragons and used their own mechanics to interfere with the gameplay, and I stopped playing. So I guess the long and short of it is, I play to have fun. I don't play to have to roll dice to make a decision. So when the crunch gets in the way, I crunch the game, I guess you could say. Anyways, talk to you later. Hey, Amy, thank you so much for such a great answer to Daniel. And, you know, for the most part, I'm with you. It depends on the specific game. You know, last episode, Carl, the geomologist presents, Amy's husband, actually, was arguing to limit player agency by dice rolls with suppressive fire mechanics. And there's a time and place for that. You know, I don't disagree with that. In some games, now if it's a more cinematic game, like say if we're doing the Dirty Dozen, 
then I don't necessarily think that rule applies. But it all depends on the game you're trying to run. If you're trying to run a realistic game, quote-unquote, then maybe you want that. But I, I do agree with Amy where, you, you know, sometimes games get in their own way. There's no question about it. And I can definitely see how that would not be fun for a lot of players. Um, now, Amy, folks, is also the president and CEO of the Crush Foundation. There's a link in the show notes to the Crush Foundation. I've supported the Crush Foundation over the years. The Crush Foundation does Crush the Con every year in Texas, uh, the, which is a role-playing convention that raises funds. The Crush Foundation is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping its communities to raise funds needed for life-saving medical efforts and furthering education. So very worthy charity if you're ever interested in looking for something to donate to. I can't recommend the Crush Foundation enough. Okay, now let's get to the rest of Daniel's call. Anyways, on that note, um, I want to throw in two. I don't know if I should say it in the same message, but I guess I will. <laughs> you can just delay this if you don't want, if you want to. Um, you were mentioning uh, talking on Cerebivore with Carl. And uh, just so you know, I, I did get an adventure. So we're going to run uh, Dr. No. Oh, sounds like my pizza's ready. So I'll leave you on that. Uh, where I have Dr. No. I got to read through it. And we just got to schedule a time to... Uh, to play uh, James Bond 007. Daniel, that's great news. Folks, the episode of Cerebivore he's talking about dropped last Friday when this episode comes out. It's the 28 April episode of Cerebivore Season 2, Episode 4, I think. You, if you go to the Cerebivore feed, which is linked in the show notes, it's the only one that saves James Bond 007 role-playing game. Check that out. It's a great conversation between Daniel, Carl, and myself about the game. And there'll be a future episode where we... I don't know if we're going to do an actual play of Dr. No or if we're just going to play it and then discuss it. But there will be a future episode on the Dr. No module in one form or another. Now, after Daniel got his pizza, he called me back. So I've decided to uh, cut into the middle of Anthony's call that was cut into the middle of my call. Or something to that effect <laughs> about the the fencing. It sound, that system sounds awesome, actually. But the first I couldn't my whole time he's talking about it, I couldn't stop thinking of the Princess Bride. You know where they're having this fight. Spoiler for the Princess Bride, and the uh, <laughs> they keep he's like you're using this style. Well, I thought it would be appropriate since you're using that style, and I, that's the first thing I thought of. And I was like, that's amazing, and I would love to play that game. <laughs> In case anybody was wondering that comment that Anthony, also known as Runeslinger, the Casting Shadows Media Empire made. He has a blog, YouTube channel, podcast, check them all out. But he was talking about Ubiquity, the Ubiquity game system. And that was on episode 91 of this show, Complexity in Role-Playing Games. Next up, I was sent a direct message on Discord from Spezbaby, also known as Peter, who says... Just doing some catch-up and currently on episode 486. As for martial arts styles, I think Fantasy Age, Modern Age's stunt system could work well. Each style could have an appropriate stunts table that could only be accessed by knowing using that style. It would also be pretty easy to add benefits of style versus style on there too. Peter, that's a great comment. Thank you for mentioning that. I've kind of looked a real little bit at Fantasy Age, Modern Age, but I don't have any solid experience with it. I haven't actually read through the rules or played it. Um, it, If I remember right, it's got a system where if you roll certain things on the dice, it triggers certain abilities, kind of like 
I, I guess, criticals or whatever. But you, you roll like an extra die, and if that die comes up with a certain number, then it triggers abilities. I think that's right. Maybe somebody can call in and, and, and give us a little more detail on fantasy age and modern, the whole age system, I should say. I believe that system is the one that was used for the Expanse role-playing game as well. Hobbs again. Hey, I'm calling about suppressive fire, and it kind of reminds me of the discussion on save or suck in D&D games. You know, if you're held or if a fear spell is cast on you, when the, the system or sort of the GM are imposing actions on your characters, even if those are inactions. Hey, the cast old person, you're out for the set. You know, you're going to be watching the rest of this session or whatever. That's the whole save or suck thing. And this really isn't that much different from that, in my opinion, just talking about mechanics. So one of the things that I want to do in A Devil's Own, which is my working title for the Western game, is when you're under fire, this is a Western game, so suppressive fire isn't exactly right, like a Gatling gun maybe would be different, uh, but when you were talking about using semi-automatics uh, as suppressive fire, it's basically not even suppressive fire, I guess. If someone's shooting at you, you make a will test constitution test, grit test, whatever you want to call it, and if you succeed, then uh, you get a bonus. So instead of giving you negatives, and if you fail, then I think your first reaction would be to look for cover, and if not, you take damage. So you still have options there, uh, but if you succeed, now you have a bonus, because it's going to represent your coolness under fire. Uh, so when you're firing back, that doesn't mean that they have a penalty to shoot at you again, because they don't. Uh, oh, but I did mention maybe like adjusting your armor class if it's an armor class system. I don't even know that far, but it's just one thing that I was considering. Instead of making it so you froze up and can't do anything, you can still do stuff, but there is a penalty. Uh, you're in the open, but you also get a bonus to fire back. So I don't know. Let me know what you think. Of course, that was Jason Hobbs of Random Screed and Hobbs and Friends. Yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah, I like that. I like the idea of if you succeed, then you've controlled your fear and, and you've got to control your nerves and, and, and you steal down to do what you have to do. I, I think that's an interesting mechanic. And yeah, you'd have to plan it out. I don't know the idea where if you fail, you either have to take cover or take damage. Because to me, I guess if you're playing like Into the Odd or something, I could see that. But in a regular game where you're rolling to hit and all that, I don't know if, you know, it's A or B. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's one or the other per se. Like you automatically take cover or you automatically take damage kind of thing in a normal game or traditional game, I should say, where you roll to hit. But it is an interesting idea, and I do like the idea of giving a bonus when you get all, you know, that gut check and, you know, stealing your nerve. I, I like that, and, and I think that's an interesting mechanic. I'll be talking in a future episode more about Westerns, the Jason Hobbs. I got to recently play in a game of We Deal in Lead with Jason Hobbs. So here in a couple weeks, I'll be doing a System Sunday on We Deal in Lead, and I'll talk about that game at that time. I do 100% agree with Jason that in a heroic game, in a cinematic game, 
then suppress a fire effectively is the same kind of idea as saber suck. Um, you know, hold hold person spells, things like that. And that's something that our next caller is also going to touch on. So I'm going to play this next call, and, and then we can kind of go down that rabbit hole. Hey, Jason. Daniel from Mans, keep calling in. So I just realized I recorded like a, an incredibly long message, which I'm going to try to make shorter. So I was listening to the simulation episode. I think there's a lot of great stuff there. Uh, everybody called in with some cool ideas. Uh, but it made me start to think about the idea of what is the simulation, right? Are we simulating, as you said, are we simulating reality? Are we simulating a a Hollywood movie? But it's not always cut and dry, right? Because we could discuss that in the session zero, but I might say, no, I want this game to be realistic and we're going to make sure that every bit of ammo is tracked and, you know, the fact weapons can jam and how weather might affect them and if you didn't clean it or if you did that. And that could be cool, Right. But then there might be, but there might be moments where we're going to want no, no, no. We want Hollywood simulation because we don't want our characters to be pinned down just because the rules say so. So I think you can bounce back and forth, and part of being a good GM, in my opinion, or a capable GM, or however you are creating fun at the table as a GM, is to know how to balance those things. So I, I don't remember, and I don't play the game that uh, I don't. Well, I have Twilight Two Thousand, but I haven't played it. Um, I don't know if when you're pinned down like that, if you have to make some kind of will roll. I think that you do. I think that's how it works, right? Like you're suppressive fire, you make some kind of will roll. If you fail, you can't move. Well, I mean, that's pretty cut and dry. And I don't think that that's taking away somebody's agency because they made the roll, right? They said, I want to move. And then you roll and you fail the will and you're just like, you can't, you can't do it. Now, I know you're saying that you don't tell people how they feel and I agree with that, but you don't have to say it like that. You can say, you failed your roll. Tell me why. What is the what went into your character's gut that at the last second made them pull back? You can tell them that's what happened because that's a physical result of the roll, or if you will, or a rules result. You're not telling them how they feel. It's all how you ask the player to describe it. If you get a, a, a fear spell cast on you by a dragon in Dungeons and Dragons, you're like, this is a fear spell. It's going to make you run. Tell me how you feel. Then you're not telling the character how they feel. So you can definitely can play that line of it. But more importantly, what I was thinking was we have to be open as people running games to be flexible, I think. My strong opinion this is a very strong opinion of mine that in – so let's now go back to that situation. I'm running a game for a group. They're a squad of soldiers. They are trying to do something. One of their friends is injured. Uh, they're going to die. Something's going to happen. They are definitely in mortal danger. So the the one soldier is like, I'm going to run out there because this guy saved me. We're brothers. We've gone through all this together. I'm going to get out there and drag him back or else because I know he's going to die otherwise. Um, and you go, okay, make your will roll. And they fail. At that moment, this is where I, I think a GM should look and say, you know what? You failed that roll. By the rules, you should not be able to move, but you, based on what you said, based on your actions, based on what's going on, you can do it, but there's going to be this penalty. And I think that right there is where the kind of the rules meet the table, right? I think that's the almost the heart of the RPG. There's not one or the other is right. It's what's right in that moment. And it's hard for us to put into rules exactly how everything should work. And I think games that try too hard to make everything a rule can become burdensome on the table because it just becomes more of a board game. And that's kind of probably a strong opinion. 
you, you can play any game that you like, obviously, and there's many games that are great, and some games I play. If I was running a, I think somebody even said this, if I was running a, um, it might have been David, it's if they were running like a, a skirmish game or a war game, then yeah, of course, you fail the check, you don't move, that's, that's how it is. But an RPG is different, and I agree with that. I think that you've got to look at each game set and each situation and each table and each moment as its own decision to be made. And as long as you are fair and the table is in agreement that it's fair and the game is fun for everybody, then I don't think there's really a wrong way to do any of this. So now I have accomplished in making this message actually longer than the first one, but I'm not going to record it again. So sorry for the long message, Jason. I'll talk to you soon. No apology needed, Daniel. Thank you for the message. I always appreciate when you call in. And I think you really summed it up well there at the end, that as long as the group is having fun and everybody's okay with it, then, you know, you're playing the right way, right? And and I'm, I am 100% believer that. That said, you bring up some interesting points there, and I don't necessarily disagree with Carl either, with if you're doing Twilight 2000 and you're trying to do this kind of simulation of modern combat and all, then, yeah, people are going to get pinned down. It's just it kind of rubs, like you discussed in your call, rubs a little bit against the idea of character agency, or player agency, I should say, and all that, where your solution there of, well, you can do this, but you're going to take a penalty now, kind of makes more sense in the more modern role-playing games. I guess, you know, it's funny because when we think about it, if we think about, obviously we can play games however we want, but traditionally, in like D&D, whether it's OD&D or AD&D or whatever, you know, those hard save or suck things exist. So I could see looking at it like that traditional AD&D style or traditional TSR era D&D style where suppress a fire, you fail your saving throw, you are stuck there. You can't move. Where with the more heroic style of 5e and the later editions, I could see where you would just take a penalty and be able to move. Yeah, interesting discussion. I, I look forward to hearing other people weigh into it. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Thank you, Colin. That was Colin Green of the Spike Pit Podcast. Check that out. There's a link in the show notes. I also want to thank Ray Otis, who does the coffee cup clip art for the show. TJ Drennan, that does the excellent music. All the callers to this episode. And, of course, you, the listener, for tuning in. I will be back on Sunday. With, you know, it's funny, Daniel mentioned James Bond in that episode of Cerebrovore. Go listen to that, bone up on it, because this Sunday I'm going to talk about Classified on System Sunday, which is the retro clone of Victory Games, James Bond 007 game. So watch for that, and then I'll be back the following week with another episode of Fun Hijinks. Until then, be excellent to each other. your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is
pretty sure he took a pretty head And the only question left is if I could shoot him dead Bring on the gold, bring on the gold I want some more, bring on the gold Well, the butcher is a dustman and the moil is by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away And the world's gone to hell.